Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast, your birth to the best stories in boating. Each week, my colleagues and I will bring you everything from salty stories to thought-provoking trend discussions, as well as interviews with the most interesting characters to ply the sea. Whether you're listening from the boatyard, your slip, or hopefully well underway, we're glad to have you aboard. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast. Joined today by the legend, Deputy Editor, Captain Bill Pike. Bill, what's up? Well, I'm feeling rather legendary today. Excellent. Is there a day you don't feel legendary? Yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, boy. I'm yep. glad I don't see you on those days. Yep. Well, kind of a weird start to this, but we are talking about one of the more famous columnists that isn't you or, of course, myself. We're going to take a little trip into a time capsule back to the 90s and a man named Tom Fexus. Legend has it. I'll tell you how I understand the legend of Tom was that mm-hmm. Paramore Yacht was founded in 1985 and just a couple issues into the magazine's creation, it was kind of this big get for the magazine. It gave this brand new brand a lot of credibility to have somebody who was an active yacht designer and writer penning a column for the for the magazine. It was called Spectator and the idea was this was going to be a totally unfiltered yacht designer's take on boats, boating, design, and really whatever was on his mind that month. Is that is that how you remember it, Bill? I think that's pretty close, Dan. I mean, uh, Tom, as I recall it uh, in my legendary mind, <laughs> uh, Tom uh, worked for Michelson, uh, Palmer Johnson, mm-hmm. who's designing boats for Choi Lee. Of course, he, you know, when he when he designed the Midnight Lace, Right. Uh, which was launched, I think, in uh, 78. Okay. Uh, it was kind of a, you know, it was a phenomenon at mm-hmm. the uh, at the boat shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, totally different than most everything else out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of wood on it, uh, clipper bow, had a yeah. bow pulpit. And right. so, you know, he was, uh, he was uh, kind of a big league guy. I mean, yeah. That, that to me, it seemed like his coming out party. That was where Tom Tom Fexis, the rule breaker, was born. Is that fair to yeah. say? I, you know, I never, I really met Tom on the page. When I first started at um, Power and Motor Yacht, I became Tom's editor. Okay. And, and really, it was one of my, when I saw his columns come in, it was one of my favorite things mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And, um... Because there were his columns were so funny, mm-hmm. he could cram so much humor into a very short period of time, and they were so well observed. They they did not ring falsely. Yeah. And he could um, he did a, a column. Now this was before my time at PMY, I think in 1985, called um, "Sailboats Are Silly." Mm-hmm. <laughs> An infamous one in yeah. journalism. And. I mean, he went out there on a limb to some extent yeah. with that because back then in 85, I mean, sailboats were still a big, big deal. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, Cruising World and all these sailing magazines and Tanya Abey was sailing around the world. And, oh, man, sailing was something. And here's yeah. this guy that's saying, hey, yeah. the whole dang thing is silly. And yeah. it was you know, but it was never came across as mean spirited. He could be just funny and and 
and kind of laugh at things, but but it never felt like he was he was really there was any meanness in him at all. There, he was just he was just plain funny. It's it's so funny because you know I I've had the opportunity to reacquaint myself with Tom's work in the recent year when we moved offices. I brought a lot of the archived issues back to my house and a good excuse to get lost into some of his early columns. And and you're exactly right that he set a tone, I think, for the magazine that honestly continues to this day where he wasn't afraid to be self-deprecating. He wasn't afraid to take a stand. He wasn't afraid to let his personality show or, you know, talk about the lighter side of, of boating. He, he just didn't take him. He was serious, but didn't, didn't take himself too seriously. And I think, I think a lot of us can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, you know, and he had a lot of, I think his ability to be funny was that he was smart. Very. He was a smart guy. Right. I mean, I believe that the man worked for General Dynamics as a nuclear engineer for maybe about a t- about 10 years, maybe before he went to Westlawn. I don't, you know, uh, Institute of Yacht Design, maybe before he went to Westlawn, Westlawn I don't know, but I mean... He was a nuclear. <laughs> he was a nuclear engineer. And, I, that's uh, that's a resume that puts a lot of us to shame, Bill. It, yeah, it does. It really does. But you know what was funny? What I I would talk to him on the phone. Yeah. Because yeah. his columns would come in. Sometimes, sometimes they'd be typed. That was yeah. good. Yeah. Uh-huh. But they wouldn't. You know, he didn't spend a lot of time on them. It wasn't like he was rewriting for. It was, I don't think he did a lot of rewriting. I might be wrong. I might be wrong on that, but I, I don't think he did. And sometimes they came in written on uh, like a yellow legal pad, you know, kind of hen scratching type thing. And you had to kind of, uh-huh. so I would have to sometimes call him up and say, say, Tom, I mean, when you, what's the word in there? You yeah. know, but he was, uh, we connected he had gone to uh, the State University of New York Maritime Academy. Okay. And I had gone to a state maritime academy myself. Yeah, so yeah. we used to talk about, you know, kid about that. We both had, you know, let's say some comments about the whole experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> that would be a great podcast. We can go back in time. Yeah, it would be. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about. You told me offline over the years, the the initial days of getting Tom into the magazine, there were there was a different set of rules when you work with Tom and, and the founding editor, Bonnie O'Boyle. She uh, she's one, I guess, who, who brought him on. And, and tell us about that, that rule set for him. Well, uh, when I started working for the magazine, I was a callow. <laughs> I don't know that I was callow. Let's say I was inexperienced in the editing game. <laughs> I'd been a newspaper reporter, but that's quite a different thing. Sure. And so I was supposed to be Tom's editor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was enthusiastic. Sure. Uh, great <laughs> and and uh, this seemed to be a great job I had. And I better do a good job. So, you know, I get this copy. And, uh, and I remember, now I don't remember actually, though, if it was me or somebody else. Because Tom's once... Once Tom uh, Tom's copy got into kind of a shapely form, mm. it would uh, you know the editor and uh, editor in charge of it would send it around for the other editors, mm-hmm. and somebody, maybe it was me, I don't know. <laughs> if it was me, it shouldn't have been me. But, 
anyway, they, they changed some stuff. They were trying to kind of make it more correct, you know, more right. grammatical or more, you know, something. Sure. You know? And what, what they were doing is destroying it, you know, and oh my goodness. Now, Bonnie O'Boyle, of course, I believe Bonnie was Irish and she had an <laughs> Irish. She, you don't say Bonnie O'Boyle was Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I believe she had an Irish temper. Ooh, and uh, holy smoke, kind of the doo-doo hit the fan when Bonnie saw this, you know, catastrophe, you know, uh -huh. somebody. And we had a meeting of the minds in her office. Everybody was called into the office. We all sat down. It's like, now what? Yeah. This does not look good. Wow. And Bonnie said, you know, Fexus's copy is sacrosanct. Do not touch Fexus's copy. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, it pretty much stuck. I mean, you, you had to kind of tweak it a little bit. But, yeah. you know, it's uh, editing him. I, I got to say, I learned a lot from editing him. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. learned that maybe I wasn't so good as, <laughs> as, as he is. Don't you hate that? <laughs> I, I really. And uh, I learned to just, you know, kind of let things be a little bit. Because some things are good. If you start messing with them, you know, <laughs> you can screw them up. It's so funny. I mean, just thinking about the parallels and, and really the the trends he set for the magazine that continued today are, are pretty amazing. We're talking about a, pretty, a not insignificant amount of time since, you know, this column I'm going to read here in, a, in another minute, which came out in 1999. It, it feels like it could have been in the magazine last month. I mean, it really does. And what's so cool is, I mean, I'm sure you guys didn't know it at the time, but this really started a really proud tradition that we're continuing at Power Mordiot, where when when Tom stepped away or when you know he stopped writing the column, we had Mike Peters for mm -hmm. quite a while writing writing his column and then followed up by by Bill Prince and and now we have Michael Rybovich contributing to the book and, and and all of those people had a real reverence, had a real you know fondness for that original spectator column. And uh you know, I like to think we preserve their voice also and, and the spirit in which Tom created so many great columns. Yeah, he uh, you, you mentioned the word reverence. Mm -hmm. And I think the other columnists that we've had over the years have been absolutely reverent, you know, yeah. have have really saw have really seen Tom as a sort of benchmark. Mm -hmm. But uh, in actuality, I mean, the the I think the best thing about Tom, other than his humor, was his total irreverence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He did not uh, suffer fools gladly. But again, no, uh, he was not mean spirited. But uh, he certainly uh, he knew how to observe well and mm. and with with great humor. Yeah, why why such a great name for his column, right? Spectator. Yeah, I don't. I'd love to know whether he came up with that or Bonnie mm. came up with that. Probably mm. one or the other, or maybe both. But yeah. it's fabulous title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, well, you know, I, I again dusting some of these off. I I, I read one that I, it just it just struck me about how how great his writing was. The way he weaved um, humor in with with seriousness and some sentimentality in a way that. 
man, you know, it, does, I don't know. Does it, does it bother you at all when these guys that are like a, such accomplished designers are so accomplished to feel the guy was a nuclear engineer and then he <laughs> writes a column that makes you laugh and cry? I, it's it, to me, it's BS. It, it's not fair. I can't do anything <laughs> else besides this. <laughs> yeah, it really is anything. a bit much. I mean, the guy, the guy was like super talented. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully we'll. Uh, We'll we'll dig up more of these columns in the future from the archives and and share them out with the Power Mordiad audience because they really are so relevant today as they were when he wrote them. So, Bill, thank, thanks for the time. I, I look forward to hearing some more Tom Fex's stories in the future. But with, without further ado, I'm going to share Lucky Boy, Passing the Torch by Tom Fexus from the November 1989 issue. My dad, who is soon to be 97, is still sharp and always thinking. He periodically issues a missive to me concerning ideas for Spectator. After nearly 14 years monthly columns, believe me, I can use all the help I can get. A recent letter from him began rather cryptically. This boy was lucky. His father owned a boat. As a youngster, he learned to swim and row a dinghy. As a teenager, he helped his father do some of the tasks connected with the boat. His dad taught him skills like carpentry, painting, and mechanics. Boy welcomed the challenge to fix things that needed repair. That developed into a sound character and discipline in the boy and a close relationship between the father and the son that was likely to last a lifetime. He also learned navigation and it was a thrilling adventure when they cruised the different ports and harbors. Finally, the growing boy took over all the tasks and responsibility from the father and assumed the full burden for running the boat. Everything for the boat. That boy, thankfully, was me. If my dad had been into golf or horses, I probably would have been spending my spare time flailing little white balls or developing saddle sores and bowed legs. I certainly would not be in the boat business. I might make my living elbow deep in someone's mouth or springing guilty murderers and rapists on technicalities. Yes, I'm lucky my dad owned a boat, as did his dad. I spent time with my parents on six boats starting at five months old. My dad and I were constantly conspiring concerning the family boat. It was always, quote, everything for the boat, and normal life be damned, to the great consternation of my mother. Dinners were missed on spring nights, spent painting a hull into the glare of the car's headlights. School functions were unattended, and spring and summer weddings, funerals, and parties were ditched so we could put more time on the boat. The extent of this father-son conspiracy can be demonstrated by the caper of 61, a diabolical summer. I was a second classman, a junior, at Maritime Military College. Every summer, from June through August, we took a cruise to Europe on the school's training ship. While the European jaunts were fun, I had already missed two boating summers. In 1961, our trusty wheeler had needed a new engine. Since I really wanted to install that engine and take the summer off to play with boats and various bin-bed girlfriends and my 55 Thunderbird, Dad and I conceived a diabolical plan. Playing volleyball and wrestling in high school, I developed a shoulder that periodically dislocated. It didn't happen often, and when it did, I simply rotated it back into place. But through a doctor friend of his, Dad obtained the documentation needed to get me a medical leave of absence and a summer of freedom, one of the greatest summers of my life. I planned on having my shoulder operation shortly after the engine installation. The school ship sailed without me in June as I horsed the big Palmer Strait 6 into our boat. Indeed, I did spend the rest of that idyllic summer messing with boats and bimbet girlfriends in my car. Sadly, all great things must come to an end, and by late August, I had to start thinking about getting back to school. Of course, that summer I had been too busy to have anything done about my shoulder. 
So it was now my task to convince the doctors at the imposing federal hospital complex on Staten Island that my shoulder was fine and I was fit for duty to attend my last year of college and get my degree. The doctor, however, was not convinced. How can we classify you fit for duty when you were unfit for duty just three months ago and did nothing about it? I did some fast talking, telling him that I had indeed rehabilitated myself over the summer doing, quote, exercises involving Palmer engines, bin bed girlfriends, and my Thunderbird. The stern-faced doctor told me to wait outside. I sat on a hard wooden bench in a long dreary hall, the sunlight streaming in on one end. I was sweating profusely and chomping on a bologna sandwich bought from a vendor outside. This was one of life's crossroads. If I did not get a fit-for-duty slip, my young life and future plans would be trashed. My mom would be devastated. Everything for the boat rang a bit hollow now. After a couple hours, the doctor summoned me back into the office. I entered in a daze with a dried up, half-eaten bologna sandwich in my hand and sat down to face my fate. On the desk was a rubber ball, which the doctor asked me to repeatedly throw against the wall as hard as I could. After I demonstrated that, indeed, my shoulder was rehabilitated, he thought for a while, scribbled something on a piece of paper, folded it, and handed it back to me. On my way out of the office, I opened the paper and saw, quote, fit for duty. I had gotten my life back. Today... My dad and mother accompanied my wife and me aboard our boat. Part of the reason for their longevity was revealed in a phone call I overheard a couple years ago when my dad was about 95. He was talking to his brother and when asked how he felt, he answered, I'm feeling fine, but I'm starting to age. In my cousin Vinny's cousin, in the July 99 issue of this magazine, I described how a buddy and I did a job for some slime ball 20 years ago and got paid with women's wigs in lieu of cash. I used the experience as fodder for an article and belatedly sent my friend his money. My dad ended his letter referring to that piece as follows, quote, If this proposed article is printed and you get more than $200 for it, I expect a cut, and I will not accept women's wigs as payment. Well, Dad, I'd be happy to send you all the money I received for writing these articles over the past 14 years, but that would not even begin to cover my debt. I owe you a whole lot more. Everything for the boat. Thank you for listening to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and leave us a review or rating. Or you can share us with your friends on social media or on the VHF. Anywhere you spread the word means a lot to us. Thanks again, and until next time, we'll see you on the water. <laughs>